It's going to be every seat, every empty seat in the name of Jesus will be filled in this sanctuary. There will be more seats added to the back. There will be people standing in the back. And we'll have to build a new building out on the side lot because this lot will become for the teens. In Jesus' name. God, I saw that while Donna was speaking. I saw that while Donna was speaking. You know, we, we serve a big God. The Bible says in, in Ephesians 3.20, For unto him who does exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. If you don't know that scripture, by the end of tonight, we're going to know that scripture together. That scripture has been on my heart for two weeks now. Um, last Monday, I think I posted it on Facebook because I just woke up with it on my heart. That Tuesday, Donna had it as her women's Bible study verse. That just popped up, and she put it up there. And we hadn't even talked or discussed it or knew what each other had put, but God was working something inside of me then. And then yes, last week on the way to Texas, me and Donna were talking about how good God is and how exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think, things that we don't even realize. So we were going to the lawyer's office, and we were quoting that verse because we had a lot of things ahead of us that we had to prepare for, a lot of life-changing things. This was big. This was things that can make a way for me to go into full-time ministry earlier than what I had planned. So this was big things coming. So we were, we were praying and we were believing that God was going to show us favor, as he always does. So we got to the lawyer's meeting and everything went great. Everybody was behaved. Nobody was fighting over anything like you hear all of those crazy stories. He knew what he was talking about. He made it seem simple. Believe me, after this past week, it was not that simple as he made it sound. And I emailed him. I said, what part of this did you say was going to be simple? It's not that simple. I was trying to get a vehicle transferred into my name from my deceased sister with no title. And she lived in Texas, and I lived in Louisiana. And things had to be notarized here in Texas and brought to here in Louisiana and brought to Texas. When we got to Texas, they said, no, it needs to be notarized here. And I'm like, Ugh. I was like, do you want a vehicle? Here's the keys. <laughs> I don't want it no more. So, but all of this time, God was doing mighty things. So we were quoting this scripture. For unto God, who does exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think. And we were quoting this scripture. So after the meeting, we went to my sister's house, and we were going through some things. And I said, let's just go eat. Let's go grab a bite to eat. It'll be a celebration meal for us, my sister that passed, for things to come, just how good God is. So we get to eat, and on the back of the menu, there's some scriptures. Amazing. You know, how many times do you go and there's scriptures actually on the menu? And I didn't see them at first because the waiter came up after he seen my Jesus bracelet, and we told him, oh, yeah, well, we pastors and this and that. He said, well, the people that own this restaurant are Christians. He said, in fact, look at these scriptures on the back of the menu. Guess what scripture it was? Ephesians 3.20. For unto God, who does exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. So I was like, oh, wow, that was Jesus. So all of those scriptures lining up, lining up all week long. Somebody say, Pastor God is trying to tell Pastor Carl something. So here we are tonight talking about this scripture talking about how good God is. Can anyone quote that scripture? Not yet. For unto God, who does exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think, according to the power that works inside of us. It goes on to say in verse 21, to him be the glory 
To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This scripture is one of the 28 doxologies in the New Testament. There are 28 doxologies. The doxology is praise and worship that is at the end of a prayer. Some people call it benedictions. At the end of the Our Father is a common one. To thine be the glory and power for your forever and ever. Amen. That's a doxology. It's a benediction. So this is one of the doxologies in the New Testament, one of the 28 doxologies. And I just threw that in there because it sounded good. But, but I love that scripture. God not only meets our needs perfectly, but he goes above and beyond everything we can ask or think. I can think of some big things. I can think of some big things in my life that I need God to do. They're big to me. They're big to my family. They're big to my ministry. But are they big to God? There was a woman who went up to a preacher just as he finished preaching. And she said, let me ask you. She said, do we even need to pray for the small things or just the big things in our, our life? And the preacher stopped and he said, ma'am, do you think there's any big thing for God? Do you think there's any big thing for God? There is nothing big for God. A lot of times we don't pray because we think that's too big for God. That I'm not worthy of getting that. There's no way God can make that happen. I'm 48 years old. I won't even be eligible to retire until I'm 55. I probably wouldn't even fathom retiring with, with my finances until I'm 60 years old. But God's making a way that I'm going to retire early and I'm going to go into full-time ministry. I'm not taking a salary from this church. I'm here serving God because I want to, because I was called to. But God's going to make a way for me to do it more efficiently because we have to get in these streets. We have to get in the streets of Irwinville. We have to go door to door. We have to meet the people. We have to be in the community. And I can't do it from Texas. And I can't do it from North Carolina. And I sure can't do it from Germany. But God's going to make a way for us to get into these streets. We're going to have outreaches. We're going to have family days. We're going to have barbecues. Probably not car washes and bingo. But, <laughs> but this church is going to be a lighthouse for the community. It's going to minister to the families in need. And it's all going to come from us who are in here, who have a passion for the community. Some of us are from the community. Some people just have a passion for this church. Some people just like to come and look at Donna because she's so beautiful. <laughs> I'm sorry. But our God exceeds the need. He's more than enough, and he's willing and able to do the unthinkable in your life. He's willing and able to do the things that you can't even think of. The Bible says, for eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor even entered into the heart of man the things that, that God has in store for us, that God's prepared for us. For us here on the earth, we don't even realize what God has for us on the earth. Let's go into the word we're going to look in John chapter 6, verse 5. And this is how Jesus exceeds the needs. And I've seen some things in these verses that I've never seen before as I was studying for this sermon. Things that I've never, it's funny how things just pop out at you when you're studying on a certain topic. You've read the verse many, many times, but then you're studying for a certain topic and it's like, wow, I didn't see that. So in verse 5, it says, Then Jesus lifted up his eyes 
And seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. So Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii's worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have just a little. You see, the disciples' mindset was to give everything they had to give them just a little. But I thank God that we don't serve a God that gives us just enough to get by. We don't serve a get-by God. We don't serve a God that gives us just enough to get by. We serve a God that's more than enough. He exceeds everything that we can ask or think abundantly above and beyond all that we can ask or think. Philip was going to give all that he had to just buy a little bread. All that God has is unlimitless. There's no limit to what God has. God can't say, well, I can't do that because I don't have enough. Everything in the world is his. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He created the earth out of nothing. He spoke it into existence. So there's nothing God can't do. And then in verse 8, I'm going to flow through this sermon. It's probably going to be a short sermon. It's not going to be long. I'm not going to keep you. we got food and fellowship after. So everybody who can stay, please stay because I want to get to talk to everybody. And I don't mean to sound like I'm rushing. I'm just excited. I'm excited that God meets our needs. I'm excited that we serve a mighty God, the King of kings and Lord of lords. If you don't get excited with me during this sermon, I'm just going home. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm not even going to stay here. But you have to get excited. You have to get excited. I want to give you something tonight to take home with you. And I'm not talking about food. I want to give you something, just as Donna said, to open the present and bring back to your family and bring back to your workers. In verse 8, it says, One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Again, the apostles, small thinking, five loaves and two fishes. What are they? You know, if hindsight is 2020, then we need to have a clear perspective of God's provision and power of what he has to do for all of our needs if hindsight is 2020. I can't fault Peter because Peter didn't have hindsight to lean back on, to rely on, to look back on. Jesus said, oh, ye of little faith, I probably would have been the same place as Peter. All we have is two fish, five fish and two loaves. What are we going to do? But you have the God of the universe that's standing right in front of you. We have the God of the universe that walks with us day by day by day in our heart. Greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. Who do we have to fear? Who do we have? If God is for us, who can be against us? We have to put a demand on the anointing because he exceeds all of our needs. He's more than enough. So in verse 10, Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. 5,000 men. Can you imagine 5,000 men? That's just the men. So Considering they had probably their wife and their kid with us, that's at least 15,000 people. 15,000 people. So to give you an idea of how many people that is, Alex Box Stadium 
and Raising Cane's River Center can hold just a little bit over 10,400 people each. That's a lot of people that Jesus and his 12 boys had to feed. So in verse 11, it says, And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise the fish. And look here. As much as they wanted. I never saw that before. I thought each one got a fish, or each one got a head, or each one got a tail, or maybe one side of the filet, or maybe the belly, the trash part. But each one got as much as they want. It was a seafood buffet. It was a seafood buffet for 15,000 people that 12 people put on. How can 12 people, that's a miracle in itself. 12 people fed 15,000 people at a seafood buffet. I never saw that before. They had quantity and quality. When Jesus turned the water into the wine, they said he saved the best wine for last. I bet he saved the best fish. That was like speckled trout, a redfish, a bass. That wasn't river catfish. That was good fish for 15,000 people. Quantity and quality. I used to like to, to go to those restaurants that would give you a lot of quantity, but the food wasn't really good, but I just used to love to eat. And now I can't eat as much as I used to eat, so I go for more of the quality and not the quantity. I still get upset at the buffets because I can't eat as much as I want to eat. Wow, seafood buffet for 15,000 people. So he said to the, to the disciples, gather up the fragments that remain you know God doesn't go back to verse 12 it says so when they were filled he said to the disciples when they were filled they had a seafood buffet you know at Thanksgiving when you eat all the turkey and you eat all the cornbread dressing and you sit back and you unbuckle your belt because your stomach's about to break the buckle on your belt and pop the buttons off and put somebody's eye out they ate till they were full they didn't have belts like that they had those garments so I bet they ate a bunch they ate till they were full. 15,000 people. Lord, if they was from Louisiana, could you imagine how much food they put down? So God doesn't want us unsatisfied. He wants us to go home full tonight. He wants us to go. He wants us to take something home with us. He wants us to go home with our spiritual bellies full. And then it goes on to say he said to the, to the disciples, to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments and the five barley loaves which was left over by those who had eaten. Our God's not just a get-by God. He's not going to give them just enough to get by. He wasn't going to give them just a head and just a tail. He gave them enough till they were full. And I always struggled with that verse. Why 12 baskets? Why 12 baskets? And I asked the Holy Ghost today, why 12 baskets? And I was expecting a deep revelation on that scripture. And he said there was 12 disciples. So that each one had a basket. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> Makes sense to me. I was thinking 12 and authority and, you know, number of authority. Now unto him who is 
able to go exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Jesus doesn't just meet our need. He goes above and beyond. Let's look at John 21, verse 1, when Jesus was on the seashore. That's a good story. That's a great story. I love it. In verse 21-1, it says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. In this way. I stopped at that verse. Whew, I got the chills. In this way, he showed himself. You see, in the other ways, he met when they were in corporate worship. He met when they were in the upper room. He met when they were having a prayer meeting. He walked in while they were all gathered together. But in this way, in this way, this way of hanging out with the guys on the seashore while they were fishing, hanging out, talking to them by a campfire. You see, Jesus is here tonight because we're lifting up his name. Jesus is here tonight because we've, been, we've entered into corporate worship and and Jen and Donald and the worship team brought us into corporate worship. And we entered into the presence of the Holy God. And he's here with us tonight. And that's good. But Jesus wants to be our friend. Jesus wants to hang out on the seashore with us. We don't have to be in church. We don't have to be in a worship service. We don't have to be in a prayer meeting. We can be at work. We could be stuck in Houston traffic like I was 15,000 times this week. We can be anywhere. And he wants to hang out in a way like this. Just like this, just right now, just when I need you most. I don't have to be on my knees in my prayer closet. He wants to hang out just like this because he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. God is our best friend, and we can converse with him all day long, all day long. And, you know, the world looks down on people that talk to themselves. So if they catch you talking to him, just say, no, I'm talking to Jesus, not myself. <laughs> you know, and it's okay. Because then they know we just, we are who we are. So verse 2 says, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, the two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, a lot of people's ears just poked up when I said that. I'm going fishing. Hang with me. Hang with me. And they said to him, we're going with you also. They went out immediately and got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. You know, we've all been there. We've all struggled and struggled and struggled. And sometimes you struggled and you go home with nothing. Sometimes it feels like you struggle all night long and you go home with nothing. Not just in fishing, but in life. In life, we struggle and we struggle. Nothing to take home. And sometimes in fishing, we go home with nothing. But sometimes we do. Sometimes we take home boatloads. I remember fishing right here at False River. We put in at Bonaventure's boat landing. It was me and my brother-in-law. And we went fishing, got there early in the morning, crack of dawn, launched the boat, went fishing, fished all day long. We went in the camps, in, in by the camps, by the uh, boat, boat sheds, by the piers. We fished across by the lilies. 
We fished the back side of False River, the front side, the left side, the right side, in the middle. We couldn't catch a fish. We didn't even get a bite. So we said, well, it was lunchtime. We said, let's go grab a hamburger at Bonaventure. So we went get a hamburger. And there was a guy in there. We was talking to him, just conversing about the day and our luck and not catching anything. He said, I'll tell you what. He said, come with me. I'm going to show you. He and he took a, a bait from behind the counter. He said, you put this on and don't take it off. That's what he told us. He said, put it on your line and don't take it off. And he was kind of arrogant about it and kind of authoritative about it. So we bought two, and we said, well, we don't have nothing else to lose. So we went back, got in the boat, went fishing. We limited out. We put fish after fish after fish in the big slot limit. We were catching nice bass. And that guy talked to us like we were children. And we were catching nice bass. So little did we know that he knew what he was talking about. So we can relate to what Jesus is doing here. Another time I remember um, my dad, he went fishing. It was, it was a long time ago. It was freezing temperature. It was below 32. That's freezing in Louisiana. It was sub-freezing sub temperatures. And they went, and everybody thought they were crazy for going fishing that cold of weather. And they filled the boat up to where it was almost sinking. And they went back to the bank threw all the fish in the back of the pickup truck, took buckets, threw water on them, they froze immediately, went back in the boat and filled the boat up again and came home. The pickup truck and the boat were full of fish. That's, that's a great fishing story. And they got pictures to prove it. And that was before Facebook. That was before Facebook. There was another time in 1986, I remember it because we got a T-shirt from the plant because the plant didn't shut down. The freeze of 1986, it got into single digits. That was amazing here in South Louisiana. What is it, eight degrees? 87? Oh, it was a freeze of 87? It might have been 86, 87. But I remember going fishing, and it was so cold, the salt water was freezing. They had salt ice mushrooms on top of all the stumps where the water was going down, and we didn't get the first bite. We didn't get nothing but frostbite the whole time. But we can relate to this story that Jesus is telling, that, that, that John is telling here in this story because it relates to us, especially in Louisiana, about fishing. It relates to us. I love the stories in the Bible that relate to us. Verse 4 says, But when the morning had now come, thank God the morning comes. The Bible says joy cometh in the morning. Thank God there's a, a sunrise to our dark nights. Thank God the morning's coming. Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children. Now this was, this was not like the guy in Bonaventures was telling us, you kids put this on. This was a term of endearment. It was a term of familiarity. He was saying, my beloved children. He said, children, have you any food? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the nets on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in. They weren't able to draw in their nets because of the multitude of fish. Verse 7 says, therefore the disciples whom Jesus loved, the disciple whom Jesus loved, 
which was John, John the Beloved. John always said he was the disciple that Jesus loved. Said to Peter, it is the Lord. And Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, and he put his outer garment on, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea, swam to Jesus. You see, this, this was a, a critical meeting of Jesus and Peter. Peter was fed up. He was overwhelmed. He had enough. He said, I'm done. I'm going fishing. I'm about to give up. And all of them went with him, and they didn't, he didn't have to twist their arms. They was like, yeah, let's go fishing. Let's get away from all of this. So this was a critical time. This was a critical meeting for the disciples and for Jesus. But, but not only that it was a, a critical meeting here, you know, John said, I believe it's the Lord. And Peter looked and he threw on his clothes and he jumped in. And I believe it gives us into a glimpse into Peter's mindset. You see, Peter had something going on inside of him. Peter had some unfinished business with Jesus because Peter denied Jesus. And he wasn't finished with what was going on in his heart. So he dove into the water to Jesus. And, uh, and Jesus encouraged him. And we know the story how it says, feed my sheep. You know, Do you love me? Yes, I love you, Lord. We'll feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, you know I love you, Lord. We'll feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I know you love me. You know the story. So... The other disciples came in the little boat, <clears throat> for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits from about here to the, to, the, to the road in front, dragging the net with fish. You see, Jesus exceeds all of our needs. All they needed was a few fish, but Jesus filled the net up to where it was breaking. Now look what goes on here in verse 9. It said, then as soon as they had come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. You see, Jesus didn't only provide the catch of a lifetime. He gave them fried fish, french fries, hush puppies, and onion rings when they got to the bank. He had a meal laid out. He exceeded the need. All they wanted was some fish. He had another buffet. He had an, and he didn't even take their fish. They caught up. The Bible says they caught 153 huge fish. He didn't say, hey, give me some of y'all fish and I'll cook y'all breakfast. He caught his own fish. I wonder what kind of rod he used. I was just Iowa, Zebco, Rhino, Shimano. What kind of rod did Jesus use? I think Jesus knew exactly where the fish was to tell him to cast the net on the right side because that's just where he caught those fish. So he probably was there right before them and said, yeah, guys, they're not over there. They're right here by this stump, you know, kind of where that branch is hanging in the water. If you just throw to the right side. We was fishing one time, and this local, he said, uh, we, he was reeling in some huge speckled trout. We was catching these little throwback speckled trout. And my dad asked him, he said, man, he said, what are you doing? How are you catching these big fish? He said, man, I'll tell you what, the bigger the minnow, the bigger the fish. And that worked. We put on some big minnows. We started catching some big fish. But Jesus caught his own fish. You would expect Jesus to take some of their fish, but Jesus caught his own fish. He exceeds our expectations. He ex exceeds what we think 
above and beyond all that we can ever ask or think. In verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you've just caught. In other words, he was telling Peter, go and help him drag the net in. Stop standing right here next to me and go help him. I think Jesus wanted to make sure Peter saw the catch because Peter was overwhelmed with Jesus. He said, go and help him pull the, the fish in. So Simon Peter, verse 11, went and he dragged the net to the land full of large fish, 153 huge speckled trout. And all there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. And Jesus came and he took the bread and he gave it to him and likewise the fish. And this was the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. You see, God's not only able to do what we need him to do, but he always does so much more than we can ever think and imagine. In fact, most of the time when God does things for us, we don't even realize the extent of what he's doing until the glory dust settles. Until, until everything settles and we can look back and say, wow, God did that for me. God allowed me to go into ministry before I was eligible to retire. God gave me that. God made a way for us to get a house just so we could be by the river and be fed by Pastor Butch LeBove. God made a way that we could step into ministry. God did that for us. When me and Donna started tithing faithful, faithfully, you want to increase your credit score? Start tithing faithfully. We started tithing faithfully. Our credit score jumped up 200 points, and, and banks were quick to loan us money. That's probably not a good thing. But start tithing faithfully. Let's look at a, a story in the Old Testament <clears throat> about how God exceeds the need. And, and I love this story as well. I didn't give you the verses. I'm going to just tell the story. This was a story about Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. It's found in Ruth chapter 2 if you want to go read it later. But Naomi, you remember the story. There was a famine in the land in Naomi's husband passed away. So she was going back home to her homeland. And Ruth said, well, I'm going to go with you. So Ruth went with her. And the other sister turned back. And while they were here in Naomi's homeland, Ruth was able to take advantage of a law that Moses had instated, a Hebrew law that said that anybody who's poor, who's in poverty, who's hungry, who needs food, can come and glean from what the reapers are reaping. They can glean in the field. They don't have to starve. Well, Ruth wasn't even a Hebrew. She was a Gentile, so, but yet she could take advantage. She wasn't even supposed to be in the field, but she could take advantage of this law that Moses had instated. So Ruth, 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 Ruth went to the field to get scraps and leftovers. And she had probably a little bowl because that's all she expected to get. You see, the Bible says that the reapers were sure-handed. They were professional reapers. They didn't leave much. They didn't want the peasants that were coming behind them taking their, pro their, their, uh, their harvest. 
So they would get all they could. So she had this small bowl, and she found a little wheat here, and she found a little cabbage there. And all of a sudden, Boaz came onto the scene, and he saw Ruth, this beautiful little girl down gathering everything, and he spoke to her, and he said, Look, I want you to glean in my field. My men will take care of you. He said, You glean here with us. And they all sat down to eat lunch. It was lunch break. And Ruth got up from the table and went back to glean. And Boaz told the reapers, look, I want you to drop some on purpose. Drop handfuls on purpose. Just he, he said it as Ruth left the table because he didn't want her to be embarrassed. But he told them, he said, could you imagine your boss saying, I want you to be sloppy at your work. I want you to have butterfingers. Drop everything you touch. So Boaz told him, I want you to drop handfuls on purpose. So I, I could see Ruth with this bowl, and she probably had her bowl almost full now. And she probably had some under her arms tucked. She probably had some in her neck tucked, in her bosom of her, her uh, garment stuffed in there. Walking around, she probably had to get another sack. But remember the law said she could only take what was accidentally dropped was hers but Boaz told him drop on purpose you see we have a heavenly Boaz we have a heavenly Boaz that goes before us that's just like grace when grace goes before us and gives us what we don't deserve so we have a heavenly Boaz grace says I'm not just going to save you I'm not just going to give you eternal life I'm not just going to give you what you need to survive he says, I want to give you pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Shall men give unto your bosom? That's what grace says. You know, we have a new covenant, not the old covenant. Grace ensures us that you have more than enough because we serve a God who exceeds above and beyond all that we can ask or desire. That's grace. Grace says, I want to bless you more than you can ever think or desire. You see, Ruth's law that she was under when she was gleaning in the field was modified by Boaz our heavenly father has modified the law that we were under the old covenant and now we have a new covenant in the old covenant we had to bring offerings we had to bring sacrifices to the temple and then you went home with nothing but along came a new covenant and Jesus says I don't want you going home with nothing anymore I want you to be full I want you to be satisfied I want you to have above and beyond all that you can ever ask or think. That's the new covenant. That's what Jesus brought. The old covenant, you would bring an offering, and it, it wouldn't even take away the sin. It would only atone for the sin until the next day of atonement, which was the next year. It would only roll it over. It didn't clear our conscience. In fact, Hebrew 9, 13, and 14, it was only deliverance from the sin for a temporary atonement. Hebrews 9, 13, and 14, you can put it up. It says, for if, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from the dead works 
to serve the living God. Under the new covenant, the sin debt is removed. The guilt and the weight of sin is removed. The chains that bind us is removed. And God's recollection of the sin, he says, he remembers no more. He cast it as far as the east is from the west, and the east and the west never meet, north and the south meet. He cast it away. This is under the new covenant. The old covenant met our needs, but the new covenant exceeds our needs because we serve a God that exceeds our needs. He, ex he exceeds our need above and beyond all that we can ask or think. So with the new covenant, not only is the sin removed, not only is the guilt and the weight of sin removed, but along comes healing, along comes deliverance, along comes the power to build God's kingdom, along comes salvation, not only for you, but for your whole family under the new covenant. We have the whole package. I was looking at AT&T and bundling packages. We have the whole package, a bundled package in the new covenant Better than AT&T. Better than whatever they have to offer. It was better than the old covenant. Under Moses' covenant, which was for a time, you came to church and you would bring your offering. You would either be carrying it or you would have it on a cart or it would be walking behind you when you came to church. And when you left, you would leave with nothing. You see, in the old covenant, if you were rich, you would bring an ox. If you were middle class, you would bring a lamb. If you were poor, you would bring a turtle dove. It was equal, it was not equal giving, but it was equal sacrifice. And that's what makes tithes so important. It's not equal giving. If I make if if I make ten thousand dollars this week, then I bring a thousand dollars for my tithe. If I make $1,000, then I bring $100 this week for my tithe. If I make $100, then I bring $10 a week for my tithe. It's not equal giving, but it's equal sacrifice from an obedient heart that opens up the windows of heaven and allows God to exceed every need and allows God to be abundantly above all that we can ever ask or think. Let's look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Just because I'm talking about tithe, we're going to read this scripture. I think that's protocol, right? Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this. And another translation says, prove me in this. God says, you want to see? Prove me in this. Try me and see if I'll hold to my word, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up for you the windows of heaven... And pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. God's not going to let the enemy destroy your works. Nor shall the vine fall, fail to bear the fruit for you in the field. God's going to provide everything you need because he's abundantly above all that we can ask or think. So every, everyone would come to the temple in, under the old covenant, under Moses' covenant. Everybody would come bringing their offering. They would, they would be bringing their oxen in. They would be bringing the lamb in, or they would be bringing the turtle dove in. You came with something, but you left with nothing. That was the old covenant. 
But David came, and David was in the process of bringing back the ark of God. It was right after Uzziah died. And this is found in 2 Samuel chapter 2, if you want to go and read it. But King David was bringing the ark of the covenant back. And he set it up on Mount Zion. And, and he did something different. In, in fact, he said, roll up the, the curtains on the ark. He said, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to have some different sacrifices and offerings today. But the people began to bring the offering just as they always did. They brought their oxes. They brought their lambs. They brought their turtle doves. And just when they were about to leave, David said, and this is found in 2 Samuel, he says, I want you to take something home. He said, I want you to take home a cake. He said, I want you to take home a nice piece of flesh, a nice piece of meat. He says, I want you to take home a flagon of wine, a container of wine. You see, he didn't want him to go home with nothing. David knew. David had a revelation from God that we're not supposed to come and give offerings and sacrifice and go home with nothing. That's not the kind of God we serve. The kind of God we serve is a God that fills every need that supplies every need, that satisfies every need that we have, above and beyond all that we can ask or think. So King David had a revelation from God. In Acts chapter 15, it says, And I shall bring back the, the, the temple of David. I shall bring back the temple of David. God's going to bring back, and he did when Jesus was slain under the new covenant. The bread, take home a cake. A nice cake. David said, take home a nice cake. This cake represents the word of God. He says, take home a nice cake. That's the word of God. Funny story. I remember my great-grandmother was a janitor in the Catholic Church. She didn't have a relationship with God, but she wanted one. So at that time, they chained the Bibles to the pews in the Catholic Church. Nobody had Bibles because they were really expensive. And the Bibles they had at church, they didn't want you taking home. Thank God we can take home the word of God today. So she stole the Bible out of the Catholic church. She took it off the chain. She brought it home. She read it. She got a revelation of the love that Jesus had. And she developed a relationship with Jesus. And that's why I'm standing here today. Because of the legacy that she started by stealing the word of God. And getting a relationship with Jesus. He said, take home a nice cake. Bring home the word of God. I want you to go home and bring the word of God. Bring the word of God that you hear tonight that Jesus does exceedingly above all that we can ask or think. Exceeding, exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can ask or think. I'm going to say that clear yet tonight. Bring home the word. And then he says to take a nice piece of flesh. The piece of flesh represents the sacrifice of the Savior, of Jesus. A nice piece of meat of the offering. Jesus was our sacrifice once and for all. The perfect sacrifice that we can't do without, that we can't live without. And then the wine. It says, take home a flagon of wine, which is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the consuming fire inside of us. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, temperance, meekness, kindness, gentleness. Long-suffering. I can't see my notes when I take my glasses off. So God's saying, I want to give you something that you can take home with you. 
You know, we don't just come to church and sing and worship and sing two hymns in a hurry and go home. We have to bring what we have here home with us. And tonight, I want you to hear what I, I want you to bring the excitement of this message home with you. Because it stirred me up. It stirred, it got me out of my small thinking and made me realize that there's nothing too big for God. I was just like that lady. I'm not going to pray for that because I know God's not going to do that for me. There's, God's not a respecter of persons. And God will do the same for that person for you if you just pray for it and ask and believe. God's desire is to give us the desires of our heart. God's desire is to give us the desires of our heart. Who are we to put God in a box and to limit God and to say, well, God's not going to do that for me. I'm not even going to pray that. I'm not going to believe that. No, pray, believe, ask, seek, knock, because it's for you. God's for you. God wants to prosper you. God wants to benefit you. God wants to heal you. God wants to deliver you. God wants to set you free. So we go back home tonight knowing that we have the word of God, we have the Savior, and we have the fire inside of us, the wine, the Holy Spirit. Another story in the Bible was the story of Naaman. Naaman was the, the leper. Um, Naaman had a Hebrew girl slave that was enslaved in one of the wars that he fought against Israel. And she would see him every day with his leprosy. And she told him, I wish you would just go to the prophet of God down in Samaria and let him heal you. He's a man of God. He would heal you. And Naaman got upset. And he said, I'm not going down to Samaria. And finally somebody said, why don't you just go? So he did. Samaria was 120 miles away from where he was. So he got and he went. And while he was going to Samaria, he was thinking, Man, this prophet's going to make a big thing of me because I'm, I'm a, let's see, a, yeah, a general. Uh, I don't know where I'm at in my notes. <laughs> a general, yeah, because I'm a general, because I'm big shot, because I'm wealthy, because I'm famous. So he was thinking that he was going to come in and it was going to be a big deal, but he was also a leper. And when, when he rolled up on the scene, I could see Naaman rolling in. The prophet didn't even acknowledge him. Naaman came in with all of his entourage thinking it was going to be a big thing, and the prophet didn't even speak to him. He, Naaman said, here I am. I'm here. What do I have to do to be healed? And the prophet told his servant, go and tell him this. He didn't even, he didn't even acknowledge him. You know, sometimes God has to deal with us on the inside before we get our breakthroughs. Sometimes we have to eat a piece of humble pie. Sometimes we have to get a chip knocked off our shoulder. God has to deal with us sometimes before we get our breakthroughs. So this is what was going on. God was dealing not only with the leprosy, but something inside of Naaman that he had to take care of before he got his breakthrough. So Naaman started fussing. He said, I'm not going down to the River Jordan and duck seven times. That's what the prophet told the servant. Go and tell him he needs to go down to the Jordan and dunk seven times, dip seven times in the, in the Jordan. The Jordan was a river that was looked down upon. The Jordan wasn't popular to, to most people who didn't live close. See, the Jordan was another 30 miles from where he was at. So that's 150 miles he had to go to duck in the Jordan River. 
So he started saying, I'm not going down there in the muddy waters of the Jordan. That small river is not popular. I don't want to go. And somebody finally told him, why don't you just do what the man of God says? You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. So he went and he dipped in the Jordan River. And I could see Naaman dipping in the Jordan River. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says on the seventh time, God didn't only heal him from leprosy. He said his skin was like the skin of a baby, new skin, because God exceeds our need. He does abundantly above all that we can ask or think. God exceeded the need of Naaman. And when Naaman came up the seventh time and looked at his skin and saw that it was like the skin of a baby, I bet he started splashing around and dancing and laughing and crying and jumping and shouting and weeping because he was so excited. The same water that he didn't want to go into what's holding you back from your breakthrough what's hold, what are you resisting what do you not want to go for because of something because of your perspective of something the same water that he detested the same water that he thought would not help him the same water that he thought was the muddy water and he didn't want to go in for me it was speaking in front of people I was scared to death to speak in front of people so for years I ran and ran and ran and ran from God and didn't want to go into what I knew I was called to do, what I knew was prophesied for my calling. A lot of people leave churches because they get too close to falling into their calling. So here was Naaman all excited that God had healed him, jumping around and probably wouldn't even come out of the water. And so finally the people say, you know, we got to really go back to Samaria. So he got out of the water. He got out of the water, and what the Bible says here is amazing. It says he took bags and filled it with the mud of the Jordan River. And the Bible says he took so much mud from the Jordan River, he took two mule, two mule loads home of mud. I want you to take two mule loads home of this word tonight. I want you to take two mule loads home of the Holy Spirit. I want you to go to God's presence, to his altar, into the Holy of Holies and get some mud. You see, why would he take mud? It doesn't make sense. The Bible says exactly why he took the mud. In Samaria, they would worship the God Raman. Let me see in my notes. Uh... I don't even know where I'm at in my notes. Let's see. I don't want to tell you the wrong thing. Ram, Ra, Raymond, Raman, R-A-M-O-N. So in Samaria, they would worship the god Raman. So what Naaman did was he took that mud and he went and he spread it on the floor right in the middle of the temple where they would worship Raman. And he stood on it. What he did was he stood on holy ground. He stood on holy ground and he raised his hands up and he began to praise the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for healing him right in the middle of where they would worship Raymond, Raman. You see, when you begin to worship God on holy ground, it doesn't matter what work environment you're in. It doesn't matter if you're the only person in your family that's serving God. It doesn't matter if you're in a hostile environment because when you're standing on holy ground, that takes over the enemy's ground. That begins to pour out God's light in dark places. That expels the darkness where you're at. And that's what Naaman did. 
because he serves a God that exceeds all of our needs abundantly above and beyond all that we can ask or think. We do this. I had a pastor, a father in the spirit. He would always walk around humming. He would always walk around. with You knew where he was at in the church because you could hear him humming. And people always used to say, hey, hums all the time. But I totally understand that. Because you see, what he was doing was standing on holy ground. It didn't matter what was around him. It didn't matter what circumstances, what situations. It didn't matter that he had to drive back and forth to Texas 15 times in one week like I did this week. It didn't matter because he was standing on holy ground. And the light that was inside of him was expelling the darkness. So we can hum or we can pray or we can sing or we can quote, quote verses or we can worship. But we change the atmosphere around us because God exceeds the need. In 2 Kings chapter 4, I didn't give you this verse, but you can read it when you go home. (laughs) The prophet told the widow woman to go and borrow empty vessels and begin pouring and not stop until she ran out of place to store the oil. So God spoke through the prophet to the widow woman and he told her to go and sell what you have and pay off your debt. So if you remember the story, she had two sons that were fixing to be enslaved because she couldn't pay the debt because her husband had died. So now she was in a bind and she needed something. So God spoke through the prophet to her and said, go and take the money, sell everything, and pay off the debt. But he didn't stop there. He said, pay off your debt and live off the rest. Live off the rest because he's a God that exceeds the need. Her need was to pay off the debt. But God gave her an abundant life. God gave her her abundant life back, just as if her husband was there to provide for the finances. God says, go and pay your debt, but live off the rest because we serve a God that exceeds every need that we have abundantly above and beyond all that we can ask or think. God wants to give it to us, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give unto your bosom exceedingly abundantly above. We serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Many of us have pondered oftentimes how big is God? How how, how much can God really do for me? And I think a lot of times it comes from an identity crisis of ourselves, not really knowing who we are. Because you see, you're a, you're a child of God. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. The Bible says that you're the apple of his eye. I want to give everything I can give in this life to my children so they can succeed. God wants to give you everything you need so you can succeed in life. So we've asked, who is God? Who is this God? And I have something that I want to read, and I'm going to close with this, but I already feel God's anointing here getting stirred up. Because you see, the Bible says where two or more are gathered, that he's there in the midst of them. And whenever we lift up the name of God, I think he gets excited, because I sure get excited. And because I get excited, he gets excited. We all get excited. We lift up the name of Jesus together, and we have a Holy Ghost party. So who is the God that we serve? He's the advocate. He's the almighty. He's the ancient of days. He's the beginning. He's the begotten. 
He's the beloved of God. He's the chief shepherd. He's the counselor. He's the consolation of Israel. He's the day spring. He's the day star. And he's the desire of all nations. He's the elect. He's from everlasting. And he's the eternal one. He's the firstborn, the first fruits, and he's the friend of all sinners. He's God with us. He's a great teacher, and he's the great high priest. He's the head of the church, the heir of all things, and he's the hope of glory. He's the I am that I am. He's the judge of the living and the dead. He's the king of kings. He's the light of light. He's the life, and he's the living stone. He's the mediator, and he's the man of sorrows. He's the good thing that came out of Nazareth. He's the overcoming lamb and the omnipotent God. He's the Passover, he's the peace, and he's the prince of God. He's the rabbi, he's the redeemer, and he's our ransom. That's who he is. That's who God is. He's the star of Jacob, the son of man, and the son of God. He's the true vine, he's the tree of life, he's the unspeakable gift of God. He's our victor, he's the voice of God, he's the very Christ. He's the way, he's the word, and he's the wonderful. He's Adam's seed, and he's Eve's seed of promise. He's Noah's ark, he's Abraham's sacrifice, and he's Isaac's substitute. He's Jacob's wrestler. He's Moses' staff, and he's Aaron's rod that budded. He's Samson's strength, he's David's slingshot, and he's Deborah's song. He's Solomon's wisdom, and he's Elijah's mantle. He's Elisha's double portion. He's Isaiah's righteous servant. He's Jeremiah's righteous branch. He's Ezekiel's man of fire. He's Daniel's ancient of days. He exceeds the need. He exceeds the need above and beyond all that we can ask or think. He's Hosea's faithful husband. He's Job's restorer of the wasted years. He's Malachi's day star from on high. He's Matthew's Messiah and he's Mark's miracle worker. He's Luke's son of man and he's John's son of God. He's Peter's rock and the keys to the kingdom. He's Paul's potter and the power over clay. In Revelation, he's the one who was dead and is alive and is king over death and hell. He's above everything so you can't lift him up. He's beneath everything so you can't put him down. He's inside of everything so you can't lock him out. He's outside of everything so you can't put him out. He's Jehovah Shammah, our fellowship. He's Jehovah Shalom, our peace. He's Jehovah Nisi, our conqueror. He's Jehovah Sid Canoe, my righteousness. He's Jehovah Rapha, my healer. He's Jehovah Jireh, my provider. And you got something to take home with you because he's Jesus. He's King of Kings and he's Lord of Lords. His name is Jesus. He wants you to understand that in that name, in that name, he exceeds every one of your needs abundantly above and beyond all that we can ask or think. 
So come on, let's give Jesus a hand tonight. Let's praise Jesus like we really, really love him. I'm preaching about a man named Jesus. We're talking about Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Stand up with me. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord God. We thank you that you are everything, that you meet our needs. You exceed our needs above and beyond all that we could ever ask or think. Lord, help us to stop limiting you by having small thinking. Expand our thinking, Lord God. Lord, we know that you're all-powerful, that you're omnipotent, that you're omnipotent and omniscient. Lord, that there's nothing impossible for you. Lord, we thank you for loving us so much that you gave your son to die on the cross that we can go and live with you in heaven in eternity. Lord, but we thank you for your help on earth right now. We thank you, Lord God, for provisions, that you meet all of our provisions with power and potential, Lord God. Lord, give us the proper perspective to see your potential in our lives and help us to release that potential as we go home with our families, with our coworkers, with our friends, with our loved ones. No matter what environment it is, Lord God, we thank you that your spirit lives inside of us that changes the environment because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. So, Lord God, we thank you that you meet our needs this week. Lord, I pray a special special blessing on everyone here tonight that no matter what the need is that that need will be met lord you know the desires in their heart and your desire is to give us our heart's desire your desire is to meet every need that we have lord so we release those needs to you and we trust your word lord god we trust those words that said if we ask we shall receive your word says that if we agree in touching anything on earth, that you'll hear what we ask for and grant that petition, Lord God. So, Lord, we release that to you, and we give you thanks and praise, Lord God. We give you thanks and praise because you're a mighty God, and we are the apple of your eye, and you meet our needs here tonight and at home and for the rest of our lives. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. And we just ask that you bless the food next door. Uh, we thank you, Father, for the food that was brought. We thank you for the food that's here. We ask you to bless it. Bless everyone that, that brought. Bless the people who didn't bring, Lord God. Bless everybody because you meet and exceed all of our needs. In Jesus' name, amen.